Listening to the Ron and Don Show. To the Ron and Don Show. And yes, my dad's pretty annoying. All right, cool. All right, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 220 now of the Ron and Don Show. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, don't forget, if you want to get in touch with us, we'd love for you to get in touch with us. How do how do people do that? Yeah, best place is to go to ronanddonsitdown.com. You can download instantly our uh, players' books, our players' guides for buyers or sellers. Just click on the link on the top. You can also sign up for the newsletter. If all else fails, just email me directly. I had some folks that got lost in Facebook or YouTube or whatever. Just email me, Ron, at windermere.com. We'll get it sorted. Okay. We are live from the Les Schwab Studios. We have a special uh, guest today, and I'm pretty stoked about this because uh, we've, we've talked before about the importance of having mentors in our lives. And I remember when I was in my 20s, I signed up to be a big brother. Uh, and one of the things that I noticed in my life is I wasn't around a lot of black and brown people. And because I wasn't around black, black and brown people or living in those communities, mostly white communities, I didn't always understand when I was on the radio the perspective of black and brown communities. And so I signed up to be a big brother in King County. There are 600 kids right now, mostly boys, that are looking for a big brother. Most of them are black and brown. Most of them will never get a big brother. Most of the volunteers are white guys. They're practicing to be a dad and they're looking for a little white baby take care of. And when they don't find one in the big brother, big sister program, they got to push off. I'll tell you what, my little brother, uh, for eight years, I had the opportunity to be his big brother. Uh, and he became my mentor and Ron, you were there the day he almost sunk my boat. I was with <laughs> Sean. I have very fond memories of LaShawn. Yeah, he's and, not a little, little kid anymore. Yeah, And he's a chef today. He's 34. He has a great family. Uh, just a phenomenal young man. And when I met him, his dad was in the penitentiary, right? And that starts playing into stories and communities. And people start saying, well, of course his dad's in the penitentiary. And he's going to go to the penitentiary one day too. And it's just not true. He's a phenomenal dad. He's a phenomenal father. And he has taught me so much over the years. And you were a big brother too, weren't you? I was. I was. A, I just was messaging with my little Antoine who made the dean's list for the first time in college. That's so awesome. it was a, a very big deal for him. So yeah, absolutely. Teaches you to sort of get out of your own way in, yeah. in a sense. So anyway, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine reached out and said, hey, I have this coworker. Uh, he's really cocky. He went to the University of Washington. He played football backwards for some reason. He wasn't on the offense. He was on the defense. I got that because I was a linebacker, but only in high school. He's all the way to the college level. He's a cougar. We're not going to hate him for that. And anyway, she said, you know what? You should sit down and have a cup of coffee with him and have a conversation. I think you guys could learn a lot from each other. And so over the past couple of years, I like to see it as – uh, Trooper Washington, Coach Washington, is someone that has mentored me. And hopefully in some ways, I've added value to his life too. You've heard us talk about Cleveland High School before, uh, a number of years ago. Every other school in Seattle, Washington, had their field built 
But Cleveland did not have their field built, right? Yeah, and they tried to blame it on all sorts of technicalities with the parks department and permitting and all this stuff. And it's like, you have the money. The voters passed the money. It's sitting in an account. Do like cut through the red tape and just do it. Yeah. So is last game of the year at Cleveland. Uh, Coach Washington, Trooper Washington, he's here. We're going to actually let him talk here in a moment because he has a new job I can't wait to tell you about. And so I had an opportunity to speak to the kids, and I had made a promise, like I always do. I jumped in the deep end of the pool, and I'm like, you know what? We're going to go get this field built. (laughs) And then I walked out of the locker room, and I called all my friends, and I said, hey, how the hell are we going to get this field built? But uh, a number of years later, we got the field built, and that's thanks to people like Coach Washington, Trooper Washington. So, Trooper, good to have you. We're going to tell everybody about your new job here in just a moment. Uh, Before we get to that, though, uh, you're a coach at Cleveland. Everyone should know that you're an African-American cop, right? Because that's going to play into the discussion that we're going to have here in a moment. And and then then also, you were kind of a a big deal at Washington State, uh, and you played a little football there, didn't you? Yes, I did. And I'm glad you corrected because you said you dub and I was like, okay, yeah. Oh, I did? Is, yes. Uh, you, uh, yeah, okay. So uh, <laughs> my uh, shout out to my Washington State fans. Uh, go Cougs always. I just had to say that. Cause yeah. You, correct you know, the record. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, just to correct I caught it. that. Yeah. I'm glad somebody did. But like was, you've, you've hung out with Don long enough to know it's hard to get a word in edgewise sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So I started doing our signs. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, you know, it's great to be here. I'm so glad to be here with you guys as, you know, I've been trying to get here and we've done some stuff before, but it's, you know, you know, I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah. Your wife is here. Just on a side note, you guys just had a baby. How is Mia doing? Mia's doing awesome. She's, uh, she's finding her voice. She's screaming just for no reason. She'll just be downstairs watching her shows and then just start screaming out of nowhere. And then we're sitting there like, is something wrong? And she's just smiling and, you know, she's getting big, you know, just, just, uh, just trying to figure everything out is, you know, it's just been, isn't it crazy and everything else in your life, you get training and coaching football or the police, the state patrol, you're always training. And they're like, here's a baby. (laughs) Have some fun. Exactly. It's like, it's, it's really something that I tell my friends when they're asking, like, were you ready? I'm like, you will never be ready. Like, it's, you're silly trial and error where her and I could say some of the stuff we did when we first got Mia. And I'm like, oh, we probably shouldn't do that again in the sense of, like, make sure she's fed. Like, little things that you, you don't probably get 10 hours of training to operate handcuffs. Oh, yeah. You know? And now they just exactly. hand you a baby. And now they hand you a baby. So, yeah, she's great, though. She's the She has me wrapped around her finger. No. She gets whatever she wants. And so. how, do, how do you balance being a trooper? Uh, we're going to talk about your new job being a liaison officer, recruiter here in a moment. You're a coach now at Kennedy. Congratulations uh, on that. And and then you're a very involved dad. And then you have two really cool dogs (laughs) that don't belong in the same house. (laughs) They don't. When you look at your dogs, you're like, they don't belong. Tell everybody about your dogs real quick. Right? Yeah, my dog. Uh, we got, um, I have a Rottweiler, Kobe Bean, Black Mamba, Washington. <laughs> uh, that's what we call him. Kobe for short, but we got him about three years ago for my favorite athlete, yeah. uh, Kobe Bryant. And then we have the little one, Biggie. Um, he's a little uh, Yorkie poo. Nice. Yeah, whenever people see him, like we tell him Biggie, they're thinking that Biggie's the the Rottweiler. I'm like, no, nah, Biggie's the little one because he has the heart right. of a you know of a bigger dog, and you know, uh, notorious Bigs, one of my favorite rappers and stuff. So obviously, I was like, yeah, he has to be called Biggie because he has great. the spirit of him. That's so, awesome. Yeah. yeah. How how do you do all that and at the same time 
uh, your present dad, and and I know that that Morgan, your wife, I know that she's a worker mom too. So how do you how do you how do you do all that? Well, I mean, I think you just said it right there. It's you know, I I wouldn't be able to do the stuff I do without Morgan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She, her ability to still work and you know still raise the kid and take care of the household and tell me to you know go in the community and do the stuff that I'm doing and her willingness to know that you know I'm not going to be home, especially during football season. I was working. 16, 17 hour days, you know, and she's holding down the fort, making sure everything is, you know, in place. And so it, you know, it starts with her, obviously, you know, knowing that she's got the house. She'll be like, don't worry about it. I'll put her down. She'll call me. She'll send me pictures. She'll FaceTime and different things like that. And so just having her, you know, obviously has helped me. And then also just really sticking to making sure I like tell myself when I'm at practice, All right, guys, I got to be home before seven to put down Mia because I put Mia down at seven. And so just really sticking to a schedule, you know what I mean? And making myself realize like, okay, if I'm gonna be out here doing this, I also got to make, you know, a priority to be home and, yeah. you know, be home for dinner and be home for those things. Yeah. So. You and I, you and I talk about change and I have some friends. In fact, my friend Ed Ewing runs a major tail project. Mm-hmm. He's African-American yep. community activist. He'll be on next week. Yep. Talk about he he doesn't time. necessarily believe in in getting in the system. He fights from outside, from mm-hmm. the outside in, right? Yeah. You, on the other hand, have a different philosophy. Mm-hmm. Tell everybody about your new job at the State Patrol yep. and kind of what your philosophy is as a as a black officer and why you're a black cop. Yeah. So my new position with the uh, State Patrol, I'm a recruiter and a community liaison. So Meaning that, you know, they want me, they want us in the community more and just doing stuff involved with the community as well as recruiting, you know. And one of the things the Washington, uh, the Washington State Patrol did a good job of uh, looking at our hiring, you know, uh, standards and the way we hire and said, like, how do we revamp it? How do we get our image out to many different communities? And so they really want us mainly just talking to people within the community. And then from that, people will see us in there and then and then we'll also see that oh there's troopers out here then eventually they'll want to start asking questions how do you become a trooper how do you so then that'll lead to recruiting and so my new job now i started at the beginning of uh of uh, this month this year and so yeah i just been trying to get out as much as i can but you know covid kind of kills a lot of the in-person meeting but zooms and um, just whenever I can stop talking to people hitting up my friends on social media it's really a full-time yeah you never stop recruiting I'm always talking to people about the job and trying to get them on. So. Who, who's who's attracted to that as a career path? I got to be honest, like I never even considered it growing up. But who who's attracted to law enforcement as a career path? Yeah, I, neither was I. You know, growing up, I I wasn't a huge fan of the cops. The only reason why I can even say I like saw it in any positive light for the most part was because of my grandfather. He he was a retired detective with SPD. And then my dad was King County Corrections. So I was able to see the badge, see them come home, see my dad come home, put on his uniform. I used to see my grandfather get dressed and then work the um, Sonic games. We nice. used to go to Sonic games for free. And so, yeah, Gary Payton. So I'm thinking, like, you can be a cop and work the Sonic games. So, like, yeah, yeah. And so I was, you know what I mean? So when I was little, I was like, I never, th- I thought the cops were superheroes, right? And then when you grow up and you, you start to have encounters, with um with the police and I'm like I don't want I don't want no parts of this you know what I mean they don't they don't like us we don't like them and so that's just what it was and so I was I was never really drawn to it you know what I mean and so uh I, I guess where like where it comes from is especially speaking for uh um uh a black person is 
you really have to dig down and, and, and really kind of get out of that comfort zone of what is the what is the narrative or what we're told we can do. Right. And you have to challenge yourself and go, hmm, there may not be a lot of people that look like me. There may not be a lot of people that's doing what what I'm doing, but how can I pave the way? And so somebody else now can be like, well, I'm doing it because I saw somebody that looked like me do it. Hmm. And so that's kind of, you know, like my niche and then my pitch. And then obviously you have the people that are prepared for it that, you know, have grown up and had family in law enforcement or been former military and different things like that. And and uh, just mainly, you know, we always look for people that uh, talk, you know, talk to people well and uh, just want to be around people is kind of who we look for. Yeah. Hmm. Two questions. Then we take a break and talk about a movie that you sent to me and you said, hey, you got to watch this. It's one mm-hmm. of the reasons we're here today. What's it, what's it like? And, and you and I have talked about this, but I want Ron to hear this. And I'm sure you and Morgan have talked about this, but I want our listeners to hear this too. You pull someone up. It's a Friday night. It's 11 o'clock. You pull someone over. Pouring rain on I-5. You don't wear your hat because in District 2, we don't wear hats. We wear our hats. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I always wear my hat on my traffic stops. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In case someone's listening with the state patrol. (laughs) So you walk up to the car. It's a black person or two buddies inside, or it's a black family. Is the reaction to you different sometimes than if it was a white trooper or a white family? Is it different, do you think? Oh, for sure. I mean, I can remember three stories. I was just explaining that, that exact scene, nighttime, raining, I-5, Seattle, pull somebody over, I'm going there walking and literally their hands are up. You know what I mean? And I'm just kind of like, and then when they see me, they literally go, oh, like, it's like a gas of like, I'm glad it's you, man. Oof. I'm like, like, is something wrong? Like, nope, I just, I just didn't want to have to deal with it. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, deal with it. Like, what do you like? Let's talk about it. And so that to me is like the reason why I joined, you know what I mean? And that's one of the reasons why I joined And uh, it's just sad that, you know, whether people or not want to say media is perpetuating or whatever, that's the perception of many black people that have encountered uh, law enforcement. So they feel relief. Yeah. It's it's like a side of relief for them that they're like, I'm glad it's you, man. I'm glad it's you. And then it's almost like they're more comfortable. They, you know, they like they open up and then like, like they're not as like slow to like they're their cells and then i'm always like cool yeah you know it's fine this i is still gotta happened. give you a ticket <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately you have to get the ticket but yeah. hopefully the experience for you overall wasn't that bad even though you got this ticket that i had to hand all to right. you but <laughs> all right we're live from love Trump studios with trooper washington uh mamba mia is just sitting out in his patrol car sleeping right now how many months old is she <laughs> she's <laughs> seven months and she's sleeping at home we should in her beautiful bed get her anyway uh we're gonna come back and talk about a movie that nolan said that ron and i should watch and so we did we'll talk about it on the other side of this they are so fun and they were so fun to work with when it comes to your real estate journey you need an expert team and a playbook the Ron and Don Playbook. Hi, my name's Todd. My name is Lindsay Lee, and I bought my first house with Ron and Don's. I think the expertise provided by Ron and Don is really something I haven't seen before. I bought probably a half a dozen properties over my lifetime, and you could tell that there was genuine concern and that they wanted to make sure that you understood 
what deal you were making or also the ins and outs of the property you were buying. They walked alongside me the entire way telling me I should really ask the buyer for these sort of things uh, and have the buyer replace, for example, the water heater that was out of date. And Don said, you should really have them replace it for you. And that can be part of the deal. They knew what they were talking about. They were doing it in the best interest of me and not themselves. They weren't in it for the business. They were in it for the personal relationship and making sure that I found what I needed and what I wanted with the best deal. Closing was quick. We, I think between the offer and the time we closed, it was 30 days. They were really communicating with us almost daily just to make sure that every milestone we need to make and meet along the way was being met. They were a thousand percent instrumental in making this deal happen and making sure we closed on time and that I was able to get into my dream condo. It was a great feeling. I was very proud of my daughter. I absolutely recommend Ron and Don for your real estate transactions or just a cup of coffee and a sit down. Ready to get in the game? Get your playbook and schedule your Ron and Don sit down now at ronanddonsitdown.com. Hey, it's GeForce O'Neill. Thanks for listening to my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron. All right, you guys, we're uh, back in the Let's Rob Studios. Ron, I think you summed this up the best. Uh, Nolan, Trooper Washington, Community Liaison Officer, Washington State Patrol. Uh, and also a great coach at Kennedy and a dad and just, I was handed these notes by his wife, Morgan. So yeah, exactly. I had to say all these nice things about, we were, we were just saying off there when Ron and I talk, she's kind of looking at her nails and she's totally uninterested. And then when her husband's talking, she's like, yeah, yeah, what he said. Yeah. Anyway, exactly. he reached out and we just got done reading a book together. You and you and I read a book. Uh, Hopefully, it, separate copies of the same book. Yeah. <laughs> of the mayor in New Orleans. So we we we've read some books, yeah. and then in the exchange, he said, "Hey, why don't you watch this movie?" And and so and, and then let's talk about the movie. So I watched. It's called American Skin by Nate Parker. Ron, you just summed it up in thirty seconds off air before we started the broadcast. Yeah, it's so hard to explain the whole thing, but how how would you sure. in a nutshell? Nate Parker, sort of writer, producer, actor, and then he also teamed up. Spike Lee sort of lent to the the uh, his studio <clears throat> to get it a lot of publicity. It's basically the story of a of a man whose child is shot in a traffic infraction, and then he tries to get justice for his. He's, these are people of color. Tries to get justice for his son that was killed, and the police officers get acquitted, and he takes justice into his own hands. Yeah. And so uh, it's a very intriguing movie. It raises a lot of gr- great art to me, takes concepts that are in the culture and people are wrestling with, mm. puts them into a different format that makes you think about them differently. And so that's what they've done in this movie is taken things that are just in the zeitgeist right now, uh, the black lives matter movement, uh, blue lives matter, uh, you know, people getting shot and killed at point Blake range on traffic stops or with a, you know, a, a neck to the knee, uh, all of those sort of stories that we see. And then you just put that into a different context. You see different sides of the story mm. and it, it's sort of 12 angry men meets a training day mm. uh, in a way. And um, it was a very interesting movie and it just raises a lot of, of, of things. And the, the dad, what was, what was his background? Cause he was a Marine, right? Yeah. Ex-military. And um, it, it's, yeah, it, 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 
I don't want to break down the movie point by point, but yeah. the, the the topics that it raises, I think, are really interesting. And so, the, the the I guess I'll just start off. The first one, what was your reaction? Because the, the the way the movie structured, the rea- it starts with a traffic stop, and so you had to feel both sides of that interaction. You're on the one side, you're a black man, other side, you're a trooper. And so you have, and you probably have seen versions of these archetypal cops of the gung ho guy and uh, the the one that's trying to be a little more measured. Yeah. Yeah. Initially in, I'm pretty sure Morgan can attest to this too. When I'm, while I was watching it and I'm watching it from the perspective of a cop, right? So I'm watching the way they approach the car and different things like, so I'm like being a little bit, uh, uh, I was an FTO, so I was kind of like being in that, uh, like if I was like a training officer watching like another officer do something and then tell them what they could have done better or something like So I was kind of looking at it from that perspective because I knew what the movie was about. So I knew kind of what was going to happen, but I was kind of looking at it from that Did they perspective. do it right? Yeah, yeah. Did they do it right? How they do it or how could they have avoided that situation entirely? And then it, immediately when I saw the way um, they were talking to them, I was just thinking like, geez, like... It wasn't even a, a, you know, a nice greeting. You could tell, I mean, from the start, and I don't want to, like I said, we don't want to get too much into the movie, but you can correlate like a lot of those stops with a lot of the, the, the killings that have happened in the past where like the driver, somebody sometimes is clearly scared or uncomfortable. Right. And so my first thing was like, why not? throw out an icebreaker. You know what I mean? Right. Like if, especially mm. if it's for a traffic infraction, right? It's not like you were chasing down or, you know, he matches a description of a possible killer. So you got to come with a different mentality. This is just a simple traffic infraction. Yeah, we, 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 we should say the, the, the gentleman who was the Marine, the, the former Marine is driving. Yep. His son, who's a teenager, I think 14 or 15 is the passenger. the passenger seat. Uh, a police officer, a white police officer approaches the driver and then another white police officer approaches the son. Yeah. They end up having an altercation, and it's the second officer that ends up shooting mm-hmm. shooting the son. Yeah. Hey, could we raise one legal point? Because I think it was after Philando Castile, if I'm remembering correctly, I might be wrong on that, where there was a movement to say, you sh- as citizens should videotape these interactions with police uh, because uh, to have evidence, because that was one of the things, if, if I'm remembering the case right, we had live video. I believe it was his girlfriend or wife that was filming it mm-hmm. while he was shot. And when you watched it, you're like, oh it was incredible. Um, that's a, a real point of emphasis in this traffic stop. Is it okay for, can I videotape you? If, if, if you pulled me over, can I turn my camera on and videotape this interaction? Yes. Yes. You uh, definitely have that right. And I welcome it whenever it happens. It's happened plenty of times where somebody has it out and I wave and say, Hey, cause you're being recorded too. We have cameras. So you're being recorded. So if you would like to record this stop, you're, do I have to tell you welcome. officer, I'm recording this, this traffic? Stop? No, you don't have to. We have to, uh, just instruct people that they're being recorded just because that's, um, our practices and standard, but you don't, you don't have. So when you watch this movie in this particular case, the 14 year old is trying to record. Mm -hmm. He is recording. Uh, The officer thinks it might be a gun because he's reaching down for it. (laughs) It's everything was totally legal from the 14 year old's point of view. Yes. Yes. Yeah. FTO field training officer. I think. Yes. It is. Shouldn't it be FTT field training trooper? (laughs) It, yeah. it, it what what it, what is it? What is it? How would you have done it? What what's it, you said? Throw out an icebreaker. What would you do to immediately de- de-escalate and to make people feel comfortable in the car, and at the same time look out for your own safety? 
Yeah, I mean, that's it right there, right? Like, um, throw out an icebreaker. Uh, not necessarily like you don't have to do a joke, because for some people, it's not a joking matter. It's a serious moment for them. They're scared. They're nervous. But try to, something I always try to do, first of all, I introduce myself, right? Hey, my name is Trooper Washington with the State Patrol. I want to let you know this is being recorded. The reason why I stopped you is this. And then if I notice that they're not talking, nervous, and I'll say, hey, man, look, is, is something wrong? Like, is something wrong? Like, you know, no, I'm just nervous. Okay, why are you nervous? I'll try to kind of gauge that, and we f- totally forget about the stop then, and then they're not really thinking about what they just did or whether I'm giving them a ticket or not. But uh, but that at least allows them to kind of speak, and then, okay, all right, well, hey, I, hopefully I can make this stop better than you've, you've ever had it before. And then just allow them to kind of say, so if you could just relax, right? And then I'll tell you what to do and just do what I say and we'll be fine. Yeah. You, you've you told me before that when you're trying to de-escalate a situation, and I think this is good for people to listen that are thinking about being a cop, it, it's not about walking up there and being a Marine who I uh, Semper Fi ding ding air power. It's not about that. It, it's about getting to a point where you can communicate. Mm-hmm. And you said sometimes you'll just let people know, hey, I got all day. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not in a rush. And, and we can just go real slow, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like with a lot of situations, don't be people for some reason um, uh, with some videos, cops are sometimes in a rush to, to, to arrest a person or find out the crime. And I'm just like, no, you know what I mean? We can, if you want to take your time or if you want to try to work this out, go as slow as we can. Hey, I'm getting paid. So, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't have to rush this process, which is why, you know, looking for people that are good for law enforcement is Mm. if you can talk to people, like you will be really good at this job. Mm. Whether you think you can fight and you can do all that stuff. Like if you are, if you're a good talker, you're a people person, you can deescalate majority of the situations and won't even find yourself in those positions. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I like I always ask people, I don't even care about, you know, nothing else, but I ask them, are you good at talking to people? Or I'll gauge it by when I'm talking to them. We'll just have a conversation. If they can hold a conversation, we're talking, laughing. And I'll be like, hey, you should be a trooper. And they're like, <laughs> what? Yeah, they're like, wait, what? And I'm like, you know, you don't realize I was just sizing you up this entire time. And, nice. and you're really good. So uh, you need to come and join. Here's my number. Here's my name. And you know what I mean? But like, that's probably one of the main distinguishing qualities, qualities is just being able to, to to talk to somebody and just kind of bring yourself from that badge and I'm a trooper, right? And to down to a human level and allow them to to, uh, to see that. All right, we're talking to Trooper Washington from the Washington State Patrol. This next theme is charged and it's a big theme in the movie. Uh, and we've seen this rip from the headlines. Black Lives Matter come out. There are marches and protests because a young a man of color was killed. Then you get the counter protesters saying either all lives matter or blue lives matter that takes on a life of its own that has really nothing to do with the incident that that mm-hmm. sparked this mm-hmm. and and people take a side and there is a standoff of ideologies um let's just i just want to i don't want to what's your reaction how do you frame this up um yeah it's uh it's it's kind of like what happens today right so anytime you see um the black lives matter protest or something like that you always have the opposite of it whether it's blue lives matter back the badge or then it for some reason the narrative changes from the uh, a family just regardless of color just a family seeking justice for their kid or you know what i mean but then it totally shifts to 
Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter, right? And then we like we forget the narrative of like, like, hey, like this people that are fighting for justice for their kid, they're not saying like, like, f the police or like Black Lives Matter don't. I mean, blue uh, Blue Lives Matter don't matter. They just want justice, right? They're not like they're not up here saying anything negative towards the police. They just want the justice, and I think people miss that when automatically they think that when something like this happens, that oh, by you not agreeing with what the cop did, you're not backing the blue. Well, they could even right? be saying something negative about the police. If if someone killed Don, for instance, I might in a moment of anger say, you murdered my friend. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. It, because they just died yeah. like a day ago or two days ago. So sometimes it is that. Um, but that still doesn't mean that I don't think you matter or that your life is worth less. I, I can't imagine, this is why I'm asking it to you, how do you split hairs on that as a person of color yeah it's it's tough right because i'm uh in quotes blue i guess right blue and black right i don't you got you got, you got you got your trooper uniform on. yeah you know you what i mean badging, and so i'm on the blue side yeah. and then when i take this off i'm on the black side but 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 i guess my biggest frust- frustration i guess is for first of all there is no blue side right nobody's blue right and i think people hmm. m- are misinterpret what black lives matter is right black lives matter has never said no other life matters right if you just look at history from slavery all the way up through jim crow segregation right separate but equal just all this stuff all the way up to even now and you see the way some of this some of the, some of the things that have taken place when it comes to uh black people and in the justice system i think it's safe to say that it's proven that our life really hasn't seemed to have value when it comes to a lot of things and so now people are saying, you know what, let's just bring awareness to this by saying Black Lives Matter. Right. So that's all it is. It was never it was never Black Lives Matter. All other lives are inferior. And for some reason, somebody took that narrative and took it that way and was like, all lives matter. And then just where I kind of get irritated at is with like the Blue Lives Matter movement. It's like, of course. Right. If, you know, knock on wood, if something happens to a cop. Right. Um, uh, uh, a killing of some sort or something, there's going to be a manhunt. That's going to be all over the news. There's going to be a funeral. Then that cop's going to get justice. Right. Right. Of some sort. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's going to be, but when the black kid gets killed, right. And, and they have to go through that process. And then all of a sudden it's not the same when it, you know, in some of these similarities, you have to understand why, you know, black people feel that way. And I just get so irritated by that. Yeah. American Skin by Nathan Parker is the movie. I, I encourage people to watch it. I had to, I'm, I'm going to read something to you. I had to stop the movie because uh, it's a privileged white guy. And, and I have not always understood my privilege, and I still don't, you guys. I'm still learning about my privilege. I'm still learning about that. And I know I bother a lot of other white guys when I even use the word privilege. Get over yourself. You're just going to have to die at some point. You are. Because there's just a lot of angry white guys that don't want to lose power in this country. As I said on our last podcast, when President Clinton was voted into office, 87% of the people that voted were white people. In this election, it was only 67%. You know what the good news is, though? They did an investigation of what happened in the election and why Trump lost. 
And you know who it was at the end that pivoted away from Trump and turned toward Biden? It was white guys like me. White guys, white men like me. White men, I'm 53 years old. White men and older pivoted away from Trump because of the disrespect that he had shown other communities, specifically black and brown communities, and the way he mishandled the virus. I think that that's incredible. So even though that we're old dudes and some of us are going to have to die, there's still some of us that are listening and we're willing to change. Unlike women that they absorb, they change, they grow, they're enlightened. And a lot of dudes like me, we're just getting there. I stopped the movie. One of the main characters, he's a young black filmmaker. He stands up in the precinct when they're having these conversations with white cops and what happened with this young black man. And this is what he says. And this was the key for me. And, I, and I, I'm not going to weep now because Morgan's here <laughs> and I'm trying to be tough. Uh, but I went to it's weird that you've been doing curls this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The Les Schwab, uh, uh, weight room is, uh, is also a recording studio. This is what he says. He says, I look around this precinct and I see banners that say back the blue and support our police. But what I don't see, what I don't see is any acknowledgement that a kid, a 14 year old kid has lost his life due to a police officer. As a citizen who's expected to be a patriot, proud to be an American, then only to be shot down because of his American skin. How can anyone, though, patriotic, ignore these killings of young black men all around the country by police officers? We pride ourselves on being a great nation. Great nations aren't great because they oppress, but because they liberate. Great nations aren't great because they kill. They are great because they heal. Police and soldiers should be the gatekeepers of that truth. And they should protect that. In fact, they are sworn to protect it with their lives. I don't want to hear about another black kid who was killed by a police. And they always say that the police did the right thing, no matter the circumstance. And I don't want to see another mother and father, grieving, and powerless. And as they weep, knowing that they would exchange their life for the child that they love. Hmm. Trooper Washington, kind of your reaction to that in America powerful scene in America oh yeah that's that's probably one of my favorite scenes in that entire movie and it just yeah in in and it just brings up so many uh emotions right anger sad and just that is it in a nutshell right um 
that, you know, as officers, we have to understand, you know, when you, when you side, when it's, when you side with, or when you um, make decisions and when you say things like blue, blue lives matter, what is, what, what, how is that perceived? Right. If I'm sworn to protect the citizens of the state of Washington, right. It doesn't say, you know, just white citizens or just Asian or just Hispanic. Right. It says all the citizens, there's, you know, whether you're, whether no matter what their sex is, no matter, you know, whatever it is and you know, by me showing, uh, um, or, you know, kind of choosing a side by supporting a movement or, or whatever and realizing how that is perceived to, uh, you know, a certain race, you, you have to like, try to have some empathy and understand that as an officer, no matter who I voted for, what I think, what I believe at the end of the day, that person that I'm protecting or the citizens that I'm sworn to protect have to feel confident when I come to that scene or, or when I'm called to that scene, or they have to feel confident in knowing that that guy is going to do the right thing, no matter who he's helping. It could be a, K, a, a guy who's a KKK guy, you know what I mean? And I show up on scene and he needs help. I'm not going to go, well, I'm black and you're KK, so I can't help you. So let me go back to you. Know what I'm saying? It, it's his, hood, like, st- his hood stuff. Yeah, <laughs> trying to drive. Yeah, and he couldn't see out his eye yeah. holes. He's yeah, like, hey, let, let me help you straighten exactly. your Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and and like I know that's an extreme case, but like what I'm saying is like that perception is how black people feel mm. when I me as a black person. If I always use this analogy when I'm kind of talking to some of my white officers about it, and I'm like, all right, right now, if somebody came up to you and said, "Hey, man." I don't feel safe, right? For whatever reason, and I'm in this uniform, I don't feel safe. Like, I just don't, I need help, whatever. What is my job? It's to, how can I protect you? Or what can I do? Do you want me to patrol the area a little more? Do you want me to maybe drive you home? Or like, what is that case? You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. that is essentially, in in a way, kind of Black Lives Matter, right? Somebody saying that, like, hey, my life matters. And my response to that is, well, yeah, yeah, well, all lives matter. Or blue lives matter. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it it's it's really uh, like it, it really hurts. You so, know what I'm saying? So how do we change the culture without being? I try to be sensitive to being the the too woke guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and and sometimes I'll walk around Queen Anne and I'll see a, a three million dollar house that has a Black Lives Matter placard in the window, and I'm like, ah, like is that? If I was a person of color, I'd be like, really. Really? Black Lives Matter? You're, you know what I'm saying? So, like, I don't want to be hyper woke guy that's the, where if I'm a person of color leaves the conversation, they're rolling their eyes going, wow, that guy really thinks he's helping and he's not. How do we change the culture around this? Well, what I would first say is, like, don't even think about the woke thing. You know what I mean? It's either what's right and what's wrong. And if you're doing mm. what's right within your heart, mm. then you don't even care about, like, what people are saying about it. Now, we're, mm. I guess where people fight with that is... When they are the ones that's just doing it for clout, right? So I'm just posting Black Lives Matter to get some likes as a white person. Those are the ones that normally like are walking around like, Ooh, I hope nobody took that as me being, you know, too well. But if you're in your heart, you know that you truly believe what Black Lives Matter means and what black people have been through in this country, right? And 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 how it has not been fair. Not just for blacks, when you, you know, look at women. You know what I mean? You, right. you can look at other other ethnicities and sexes that 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 haven't had it equal right and say that that's just not right you know what i mean and so i i i, I think what people that struggle with that is it's just if if you're doing something right 
You know what I mean? That's good. Then you'll never have to worry about that whole woke thing because you know deep down in your heart you're doing what's right. That's Do good. you think that I have to give up power and privilege for you to gain power and privilege? That is a good question. That is a good question. And I don't think so. I don't think so. I guess what I would use is my example between Don and I, right? And here's what I mean. Like Don, right, went above and beyond for me in ways like nobody will know as far as with educating me and giving me the resources to do the things that I want to do within communities and help people and different things like that. Like, have you ever heard of the saying like, right, if somebody asks you for money, right, like the one person can just give you money or another person can can teach you how to fish, you know, or right. like, like teach you how to make more money. And I think where you can take that is, right, you can, what I would say is use that power or privilege that you have in a good way to inspire or to impact or to maybe give power, you know, by whatever you're doing to help that other person. And so like for Don giving me education, right? Remember when you told me to start reading and I was like, bro, I don't, I don't feel like reading those books. I'm like, just tell me what happened. He's like, no, little bro, like you got to read. Like, this is why you got to read. And, and like, I know that's like small, but like, like just challenging me to, hey, look at this. Hey, let me show you how to make multiple streams of income. Things that I was never really thinking about that I wasn't really taught growing up because we just didn't have the resources. So that's what I would say to that is like, take what you know, take what you have and go empower maybe somebody else that you know for sure is not getting that, right? And then that's how you can kind of elevate them in a way because now what Don has just taught me, I'm telling my friends about, right? And I'm talking to my friends about a 529 plan, right? I'm talking I'm talking to my friends about savings, right? And uh, retirement and all these things that before I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know, I guess. But now I'm like, bro, you, you need to get on this for your right. legacy, for your family. Let's do this. We come back, final segment. During COVID, you and I went for a walk at a park and we were socially distanced. We had like a four-hour talk. And and I don't know what you're what you want to share. One of the most powerful things you ever told me, I'm gonna tell you when we come back. With over a million plays, the Ron and Don Radio Show is the fastest growing show in the Pacific Northwest. All right, you guys, welcome back to Les Rob Studios, episode uh, 220, and uh, Trooper Nolan Washington, community liaison officer and recruiter for uh, Washington State Patrol, is here along with his uh, wonderful wife, Morgan. Ron and I are here. Um, a couple months ago. Can we just say that you totally outkicked your coverage with the, like, yep. like you married up? Really? Yeah. Wow. I'm just saying. Facts. You know, you got to call like you you see it. You think so? She would say differently if you want to put her on the... (laughs) She did say she's going to sing before we get out of here. Yes, she is. a song in her heart. It's about you. (laughs) Valentine's Day is right around the corner. And she wants to sing her her honey a song. Get to that in a moment. Uh, And I don't think I shared this wrong before. We, we, it was during COVID and I want to come down and see you because you just had your baby and I couldn't, I couldn't see the baby because I couldn't go inside. And, and so we went for a walk in a park and we were out there for a couple hours, I think. Uh, and you just said, Hey, I got to get away from my wife for a while. 
no, he couldn't wait to get back to you. So <laughs> we could have been out there four more hours. We're standing there talking. It's when a hell was breaking loose in Seattle. It's when uh, there was a protester that was killed on I-5. Um, it's when all the different agencies are rotating into Seattle to deal with. We have these Black Lives Matter marches in the middle of COVID. On top of that, we have a lot of unrest because it was happening with the presidency at the time. Then we have, obviously, troopers just lined up uh, on Mercer, just trying to make sure that people didn't get on the I-5 corridor, right? And they'd just be lined up there. And it felt a little lawless. It felt a little crazy to me as a citizen here in Seattle. It just, it, 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 felt, it felt crazy. And because I know a lot of cops here in Seattle, I know that there weren't a lot of cops out in these neighborhoods. It was very focused on that. You got riot gear in your car. Mm-hmm. So you're on the front lines of this, not only as a cop, but now you have this riot gear. And on, and on the other side of, the, of these lines, you, you look into the eyes of black people. Mm-hmm. And some of them are saying stuff to you because you're some kind of traitor who's a black guy who has cop gear on and riot gear. Why don't, why don't you take that gear off and come stand with us? Is mm. a human, as a cop, as a dad, as a coach, as a recruiter, as a husband, a son, a Christian, that tore you up. How have you healed from that? Have you healed from that? Um, yeah, that was a tough time, mm-hmm. right? Um, worked a lot of hours, but like mentally going through that was tough. Um, and having encounters with uh, some uh, protesters, right? And um, I just had to tap in, tap back into uh, why I joined, right? When you, whenever you normally, when you face times of adversity with whatever you're doing, you normally have to tap back into why you're doing it or what brought you here. Because if you don't know your why in that situation, you're like, forget this, I'm out, right? Like if I was just in it for the money, whatever, you know, I'm out because this is too much. It it really is. But uh, as my wife would tell you, like when you go back to why and you really think about it right why why does god have me here and 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 that's why i was able to get through it i was able to go that's why i joined right whether or not they're yelling at me you know what i mean some people are are, are angry because you're at a point where like you felt like you've tried everything and then nobody's been listening and then now you see one of your own on the other side and from what history's shown a lot of you know some uh black officers that did kind of Go. They they didn't treat black people right either. You're like I've had it. I've had that encounter when I was younger. Well, you're black. Why are you treating me like I'm somebody different than you? Mm. Right. And so if they go based off of history, they could assume that's who I am. They don't know who I am. They don't know that you know I was trying to get you know some friends to build a field for you know Cleveland. They don't know that I'm you know mentoring and trying to do all these things for for the uh, for the community. They just the the anger and the rage from just built up. And the hopelessness, that's what it is. And I feel them. 
right? I had that same anger and rage you had brought up the uh, the uh, Fidel Castile shooting. That same anger and rage where I wanted to post, and I was just ready to just I like just I channeled that energy into joining. Mm. As weird as that sounds, where I was like, how can I use this energy, which is it's energy, right? But it's negative right now because I'm mad. How can I challenge this into joining, right? Give me the the fortitude and the perseverance and the tough skin to be able to take that stuff and not flare off and then just go, I quit. Because mm-hmm. if I quit, then I ruin the sole existence on why I joined. Have you ever changed someone's mind out in the field, whether it be the angry white guy shouting Blue Lives Matter or maybe it's the angry black guy that says you've 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 you're a traitor to our community. Have you had a moment where someone where you connected? Yeah, I mean, m- more so than like the protest stuff. I've I've gotten a lot of more love than I thought I would. You know what I mean? Uh, in my own communities, when they see me, right, they drive by with the fist up. Mm. One lady on I five, I'm at a collision scene, just walking. It was like a summer in Seattle. And it was funny, like like one of my guys on scene is like, what? And I'm like, don't worry about it. It's a, you know, it's a thing. Yeah. Don't worry about it. But yeah, so like um I've I've actually gotten, you know, love as well, c- contrary to what people believe, and with a lot of uh younger black men and women think, like, if I join that, I'm gonna be a sellout. I'm not gonna get no love. Because that is the narrative, right? That is what is being perpetuated by media, by, you know, by whatever they see. So they're like, I don't want, I don't want to deal with that, which is tough. But in all reality, it, it, I've really, I've gotten more love than anything. Now, whether or not I've had those moments where I know I changed somebody, I don't know. Right. And, and, and frankly, not that I don't care, but like, like, I, I, I guess I don't look for those moments too much. If I just, if I go 25 years and I just change that one person, but that one person ends up becoming a chief or a governor, you know what I mean? From my words, right? And he moves through the ranks and he does something that inspires millions from that one encounter that he had with me, then I'm cool with that. Well, I could just see, I, I picture it as how much I looked up to my football coaches when I was a freshman or sophomore. And if oh, I, oh, for sure. When I was at Cleveland, I, I think I saw the biggest impact of me going to practice in uniform because uh, Cleveland was right in my, uh, my zone that I worked. And I would literally either go from there to work or from work to there. And I just never forget this kid. We're doing drills. And he goes, like, to be honest, coach, I never even thought I could be a cop till I saw you. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I, I never even thought about that till I saw you pull up. You know what I mean? You walk like me. You talk like me. You act like me. And you're a cop. Like, mm. you, like, like, I never thought of it that way. And so, yeah, I've, def- I've, I've had a few of those moments. Or I have somebody that I have on in the department right now call me and go, hey, I just want to thank you because I never saw myself until you told me yeah. that this is something that, that we could do. Yeah. So, so let's, let's wind it down like this. Because Ron just talked about people out there when they see you. A couple of years ago, I reached out to you and I said, hey, stay patrol cop hanging grandpa's rebel flag off the house right below his state patrol car. Mm-hmm. You didn't get fired. I was pissed. I was mad because I knew what that rebel flag meant. 
But I didn't know what that rebel flag meant till I lived in New Orleans a couple of years ago. Mm. I was I was okay with the General Lee on the Dukes of Hazard. That was the rebel flag to me, right? Mm-hmm. So so we're we're all at a different place of doing our work. Mm-hmm. We are, we all are. Yeah. Here's my concern. I sent you a story last night, and I said, "Hey, the military, mm-hmm. the Pentagon, is now going to be led by General Lloyd, who is a big, awesome black man." Mm-hmm. He has served his time. He was retired. President Biden brought him back and said, hey, we want you to lead the Pentagon. He announced yesterday, we are going to stand down for 60 days. And the reason we're going to stand down is because we know that we have white nationalists in our ranks. The reason we know that is because when we look at the Capitol Hill riots, And some of the news agencies would say there was only hundreds of people there. It was only a handful. That's not true. When you go and read the report, there were tens of thousands of people there. A fifth of the people there were first responders. Five of them were Seattle cops. Firefighters. An Olympic gold medalist. A woman who served her country honorably in the United States Air Force was an airman. Why they don't call her air woman, I don't know. We'll get there. So if if the fifth of the people there, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, SPD, cops, troopers from all over the country, what's it like to be in the ranks Because I have to believe that some white dude in riot gear that was standing next to you on I-5 that was going through the same thing you were going through saw that in a completely different lens. And when he's having protesters come after him, and these are Black Lives Matters protesters, mm-hmm. I got to believe that that's having an effect too and not the same effect that it had on Nolan, mm. a white cop and coach. Mm. So what about within our ranks? Mm-hmm. It's something that black people have been saying for a long time. Mm-hmm. That, hey, there are cops out there. And, and, and white guys like me are going, hey, man, it's the 20th century. Just 21st comply. Century. Yeah. Get, get, it, Just cooperate. That doesn't happen. And then all of a sudden, now we see black people being murdered on tape by police officers. And it's like, oh. Mm-hmm. So what about that within the ranks? You're a recruiter. What has to happen within policing? What has Mm. to happen within these institutions? What has to happen? And I'm going to ask it, knowing that your command staff will listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. What has to happen within State Patrol? Um, Well, you hit on one of the points, uh, recruiting. Uh, that's a point that I'll get to. But the first point to address your one, because you have ones that are in it. So whether recruiting or not, they're in it, whether they're newer troops, older troops or whatever, or not just troops in law enforcement. This is not just a, you know, Washington State Patrol issue. This is a law enforcement issue. What I would say is uh, one of the issues I believe uh, is lack of education, um, which leads to 
people not being a, being able to empathize. Mm. So so you have I remember in my academy class there was three black people I think out of how many sixty oh. women how many women three women no mm-hmm. four women three or four women okay. right so but I'm not saying that to highlight you know in um anything negative what I'm here to say is out of those uh, cops some of them never been around black people their entire life until they got to the, until they got into the academy right and so their perception or whatever they're thinking or they're they're getting whatever they're they're getting about black people from like movies or whatever and, and granted you know uh they should do their you know it shouldn't just be that but that's what it is and so you have a lack of education i guarantee you if you would pull them aside and actually like hey do you know the history of law enforcement do you know have you heard of patrolmen, right? Have you heard of slave patrols? Do you know what law enforcement actually, you know, started from? You know what I mean? I'm like, no. And probably some of them don't probably care, right? And there was a point in American skin. That's right. 200 years ago. Get over it. But they don't understand the ripple effect of what slavery did and how it formed the criminal justice system and police. So my point is this, is the education piece. Like if if I'm an agency right now, Right. I'm putting a plan in place to say, how can we educate our officers that are within our department on this issue so they can have more empathy? So instead of when they're going to these riots, like all these back, you know, uh, these people are just mad or just they don't understand. I don't get it. It's like, why don't you take a look at this? Not saying that you agree with how they go about it. I'm not saying that. Right. But it'll at least give you some type of education on where this thing started from. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just not, oh, you know, just one killing and they're just, no. Like, this is a, this is a systemic, it's trauma, but generationally, uh, people have been oppressed and they get tired of that. And, and me as an officer, this is just kind of where I get mad. It's like, you join to serve and protect all people. So like, why not learn about all people that are saying that, you know, they feel oppressed in whatever way on how you can help them? Like, what can I do to help you? Like, how can I change this? And there, there are a lot of officers out there who have came up to me and been like, hey, I didn't realize it, man. Like, I didn't realize, like, the way I was thinking, like, man, hey, can you help me on, like, trying to educate myself on how I can be better? Right? So mm-hmm. there are ones out there. So it's not just a lost cause, but there's not enough. That's one point. The second point you hit on is, which is why I joined to be the recruiter, is recruiting. Right. I think, in my opinion, that's one of the best ways when you get case in point. So let's just talk about females. Right. I have a female sergeant. Right. I didn't realize my implicit biases until I had a until I had a female sergeant. Something simple as, uh, man, you throw like a girl. Right. We all we all said it at one point. Sure. Right. And now I have a daughter and I'm like, wait, what, what do you mean you throw like a girl? That's not a bad thing. My daughter doesn't throw. You know what I mean? But like oh. just simple, something simple like that. Right. Sure. I didn't realize it until your sergeant's like, hey, you realize that's that's sex. Like that's sex. Like that makes me feel a certain way when you say it. like, what does that mean? And you're like, Dang, I didn't even realize it. Hmm. Right. So now just you use that. Right. And let's just take it to like a, a person of a different race. Right. An Asian or a black person. What are you like? You have more people within your agency now 
from that race and they feel represented. So now me for whatever, say I didn't get no education. I've never been around any Asian people. Well, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And I say something that I've learned or I thought was cool. And now I have one of my Asian cops friends tell me, bro, that's, that's, you know, that's wrong. Right. Right. Now I'm not saying that that's right, but at least you can slowly start changing and at least making people aware of their implicit biases that they don't even realize that is wrong. And so that's why I think recruiting is one of the ways to attack that issue mm-hmm. is to hire more women, hire more people of color, hire more black people, hire. So when you have an agency, so now when stuff comes up, right, oh, there was this, uh, how you you have Asians or whatever, whatever race to go to and say, is this really how it is? With another? You, know, you can attack this issue mm-hmm. and you can feel feel good about it. Right. And so that's kind of how I feel. You've grown up a lot. Have I? <laughs> I'm 30. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. If uh, someone wants to talk to you, if they're interested in a career in law enforcement, mm-hmm. um, how would they do that? Um, they can go to our website. Uh, it's wsp.wa.gov. Just a Washington State Patrol uh, website on there. If you just click on Be a Trooper, you scroll down, you'll see my pretty face <laughs> and some of the other <laughs> recruiters on there and they'll have ways to contact us. My name, my first name, dot my last Nolan.Washington at WSP.Wa.gov is my email. That's another way uh, uh, that I tell applicants or, or uh, people to um, contact me. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that'll, that'll be the best way. What if I, for the last 25 years, been pretending to know what cover two is? Really <laughs> I don't know what it means. Can you help me out there? Uh, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. That's not what I'm recruiting for at this okay. point. Yeah. Fair for, enough. Before we go, uh, what do you like more? Being a dad? Being a recruiter? Uh, being a coach? Being a husband? Or uh, playing, oh, or playing, dad and husband or, thing or in playing, there. or playing football, <laughs> and being a superstar in Washington State. Man, I wish I was a superstar. <laughs> but uh, you send me clips all the time. You like watch me here I, back in the day. <laughs> you did the other day. You sent you, me clips. You asked. <laughs> you asked, and you shall I receive. Knew you had them on your phone. You I'm, asked, and you shall receive. I'm, I'm like, you got you got clips on your phone from back in the day, don't you? Like, I'll be right, I'll be right back. <laughs> You asked and you shall receive. Yeah. But obviously a family man. That's number one priority. Being at home with my wife and kid and yeah. just being able to get away from everything and just unwind is, uh, yeah, there's there's nothing that compares to that yeah. for sure. That's awesome. Trooper Washington, thanks for being here. Thanks for being a great recruiter. Uh, Morgan, congratulations. on your, Just so you know, your husband makes me call your baby Mamba Mia. Yes. Right? Mamba Mia. Yes. So I can't wait to meet her. Uh, Ron, any final uh, thoughts for you? I, I really enjoyed it. I'd love to do this again. And wa- go watch that movie and, and find someone to talk to about it because yeah. it really does bring some some issues to the front and examine why you believe what you believe. Yeah. Yeah, and I can make one more point. As a recruiter, I have to say this. If you are a person that um, maybe is on the fence about law enforcement or maybe joining and, and, and um, you're trying to figure out why and – and or you know somebody right and to really attack a lot of these issues we need people who who truly care and 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 people who want to be in it for that reason and so i challenge you um it's 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 definitely not a job that's gonna maybe you know get you brownie points or whatever but what i what i would recommend is you kind of you know 
take on this, you know, and um, it's something different. And um, if you could come join me in trying to hire qualified people that, you know, really want to change the system from within. Yes, it will be hard. If you're a female, yes, it will be hard. You're in a male dominated profession, but you can do it and you can pave the way for the next group of females that come behind you. Just like, you know, Kobe said, if you're a black person and and you're angry, just like me, I'm angry every day when I see it. Take that anger and channel it and come join, like come join and you can at least let's try it this way to change it from within. Um, if you're Asian or just whatever and you really want to, uh, like I said, do something where you're you're going to be able to pave the way for other people that maybe never even could see themselves within the profession. Um, I just challenge you and I hope people listening, if whether or not it's you or you know somebody or you're thinking about somebody to uh, really hopefully you can um Get them in, uh, get them in contact with me because that's what we need. Yeah, we'll leave it right there. That was great, you guys. Thanks for listening to episode two twenty. Thanks for listening to the Ron and Don show. Thanks for giving us great lives. And don't forget, reach out to uh, Trooper Washington if you're interested uh, in joining the Washington State Patrol or just learning more. Or it's just good to have his car and get pulled over on I-5 and then you just drop it in and go, hey, how's Trooper Washington doing today? <laughs> I do it all the time, you guys. Okay. Anyway, here's my son now to say, keep your head up, your shoulders back, and we'll see you next time. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Go Kooks. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ha! I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs>